Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Today's New Testament reading and sermon passage is from 1 John chapter 2. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. So my name is Jamie, one of the pastors here. And again, if you're noticing, we are trying some new placements. That's kind of fun. And so do let us know how things are felt. Uh, we just felt like the pulpit was a little bit too far from the people. And so we wanted to be a little bit more closer because uh, just kind of the flavor and, you know, atmosphere that we're trying to develop is that more communal type church. All right, so today we're looking at 1 John chapter 2, and one of the things uh, we're talking about is love. And so when you talk about love, there's sometimes songs, like you remember the Beatles? You know, all you need is love, and that's kind of famous, but what's even more famous is what the scriptures say about love. 1 Corinthians 13, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so when you have something like the Beatles and the Bible agreeing that love is so important, we want to pay attention to that. But we have to call this out. When we talk about love, sometimes people just say, oh, it's going to be about sentimental things, feelings. But today we're talking about the commandment of love. And so now people might be thinking, oh my goodness, um, that's going to bring guilt because I don't love enough. When we look at the text today, what we see is this. When we are loved with a perfect love from the Lord Jesus Christ, it begins to overflow out of you to loving others. So today we're continuing this series in 1 John, and we're looking at this overall theme of fellowship with God, and we're beginning to focus in on what does it mean to be in the light of God. And in the text, what we see is when you're in the light, you know God's love, and you're living it out, this love toward other people. So that brings us to our big idea, our proposition today is this. Since Jesus loves us, let us walk in the light of his love. And we'll get at that through three points. The law of love, the light of love, and then also the Lord who loves. Would you pray with me first? God, thank you that you speak to us and that you speak to us even through imperfect vessels such as myself. And God, sometimes we just really struggle to get 
the understanding of this word. And we're asking today something as simple as love that you would help us to see what this means, how do we apply it, but most of all, how do you love us so that that would overflow out of us? So God, would you do that by your spirit? Blow upon us in such a way that we would receive your word and that we would be doers of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So first we're looking at the law of love. We see this in verses seven and eight, and very simply, God commands us to love him. Look at verse seven. I write no new commandment, but an old commandment from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Look at verse eight. At the same time, this is a new commandment. Now what we notice here is that that word love is not actually used, but it's inferred, and it's what's referred in uh, verse 10. Look there, it says, whoever loves his brother. So obviously this commandment is talking about a commandment for love. Now this commandment for love, it's an old commandment in the sense that it existed from the very beginning. This is the commandment that God has for his people in relationship with his people. One of the things that every Jewish boy and girl would know is what's called the Shema. So in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, chapter 6, verse 5, it begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that word for hear in the Hebrew uh, sounds like Shema, and that's why it's called the Shema. And what the command there is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so this is the foremost commandment that a person is to have, love God. But then also we read in Leviticus chapter 19, it says, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've heard that, it's kind of famous. What's interesting though is when you look at that passage around uh, Leviticus 19 and verse 17, it says you're not to hate your brother in your heart. And then also it, it leads up to that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, it says do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your own people. Why? He concludes, I am the Lord your God. Now those two verses I just read, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and then Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Those are actually the two verses that the Lord Jesus quotes when he's asked, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love the neighbor as yourself. What he's doing is he's quoting what the people know. The Jewish people at that time understood that these were the greatest commandments, and so it's not like he's really teaching them something completely new. He's summarizing the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments, love God. The last six commandments, love people. But it's a new commandment. You see, Jesus, he's kind of summarizing the old, but it's a new commandment in the sense that Jesus is the fullness he is the fulfillment, if you will, of what that love commandment is. In John chapter 13, so the same person who wrote 1 John wrote the Gospel of John, and he records these very words of Jesus. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And this is how he qualifies it. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he continues, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now as Jesus is talking about love, the key there is as he has loved. So we need to ask the question, well how did Jesus love? 
One of the things we see in the scriptures is that Jesus loved all people. Now we might think that's a gimme, but in the Jewish culture, that was not. In Jewish thought of that time, the Jewish people said, yes, God loves the Jewish people, but he does not love other people. And so God does not love the Gentile, the non-Jew, like people basically like me and you. Um, but also that God does not love people who do not keep the law. And so they would have this saying, God created sinners for hell. <laughs> and so that was kind of like their, their mantra is, God loves, but he only loves us. Everyone else is on the outside. Now when Jesus comes and he teaches about love, he completely upends it. He turns that thought and completely upends it. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and following. The words of our Lord. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. Jesus upends it. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, hate the way that we've been taught to hate. And he's saying, no, love even your enemies. Jesus goes a step further. We're familiar with what's called the Great Commission. These are like the last words of our Lord Jesus. It's like the marching orders for the church. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and following, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now we have grown up with that, and we think that's kind of a normal statement, but that's actually scandalizing for the church or the Jewish church at that time, because Jesus says something profound. He says, go to the nations. Go to the nations. And the Jewish thought would be, why would I ever do that? We are to hate the nations. And so when Jesus is teaching us to love the way he loves, one of the first things we see is it goes for all people. Now, another thing about Jesus' love is it means sacrifice. Again, a common thought of that time is, well, I'm going to love, but I'm going to love those people who, whom it's convenient. Like, it's easy for me to love them. In other words, you can love, but sometimes there's limits. If it's too costly, don't go too far with that love. Again, Jesus upends that whole thought. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, uh, he has an encounter with this young man, and the man says, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies and he says, well, what does the law of God say? And so uh, the young man replies and he says, well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and to love others as yourself. And so basically he quotes what we were just talking about. And then what it says is he's trying to justify himself and he says, well, then who's my neighbor? If I'm to love my neighbor as myself, how far does that go? And so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? And then what comes from that is what's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
So if you remember that parable, here you have a man who is robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead on the side of the road, and come that people who come by him, they do nothing. And so the first person who you would think would actually do something is a priest. So this is a person who is ordained by God, called by God to serve God's people. He walks by and he sees this guy nearly dying, and as Jesus says, he walks right by. The next person who walks by is a Levite. So again, a priest is one who is one of the sons of Aaron, a Levite, still involved in the temple service, but not quite the priest. But nonetheless, they're tasked with these deeds of mercy. And it says the Levite, even he walks by. And then Jesus, because he likes to kind of tell these exciting stories, he says, a Samaritan then comes by and it's the Samaritan, the most unlikely of all people in the Jewish mind who comes and does the work of mercy of tending to this person who's dying along the side of the road. One commentator puts it like this. It's kind of an extreme sentence here, but just listen. He said, we hear it as the good Samaritan and it's okay with us. In the Jewish mind, it would be the equivalent of saying the good Nazi. In other words, the person who you hate most is the hero in this parable, and it's the person who's actually doing what God has required. And so Jesus asked the young man, well, who showed mercy? And he said, the one who actually tended for his needs. And what Jesus is showing there, he's saying, look, sacrifice means not just agreeing in your head, I ought to do something, but then actually doing it. Sacrificing time, sacrificing money, sacrificing your very self for that other person. Now Jesus takes again that a step further. So that's how Jesus is. Jesus himself is the greatest sacrifice. Jesus says, what's the greatest love? In John 15, he says, it's this, to lay down your life for a friend. What did Jesus do upon the cross? He laid down his life for us. And what was the extent or the depth of that sacrifice? When Jesus was dying upon the cross, in the Gospel of Mark, it says, Jesus uttered and cried out these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus is crying out those words, what he's saying is, it's the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, who is God, who has forever been with God the Father and God the Spirit, he has forever enjoyed that love and that fellowship when he's dying on the cross the cross, taking our sin, our guilt, the wrath due to us, the separation, he's crying out because it's very real. So when Jesus is dying upon the cross, we often think, man, that must have really hurt. It was very painful. It was. But the true pain, if you will, the true sacrifice is he was separated from God for our sin. That's what love is. Love is saying, I am willing to give it up, my very life, for you. Another thing that we see, though, that love is, it's intrinsic. What that means, it's not just something that you do, but love becomes who you are. Look at verse 8. This commandment of love is true in him, him being Christ. And what John the Apostle is saying is, love becomes a person in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, um, I grew up in the 80s. Last week, I quoted Weird Al, and some people were like, whoa, that was weird. It's Weird Al. That's why it's weird, all right? 
So let me give a different quote. So I grew up in the 80s. In 1984, there's this song that was really popular by Foreigner. And um, basically it was, I want to know what love is. The Bible actually answered that 2,000 years prior to when that song was written. See, the Bible says, if you want to know what love is, you look to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you begin to understand not just what love looks like, but what love is. If you want to know what it means to love God the Father, Jesus says, look at me. I'm the one who does his will, even to the point of death, death upon a cross. If you want to know what it means to love the outcast, such as the leper, Jesus touches them and receives them. If you want to know what it means to love a city, Jesus is the one who weeps over Jerusalem. If you want to know what it means to love the self-righteous, Jesus confronts them because he loves them. If you want to know what it means to love the person who is marginalized, Jesus is the one who eats with them and celebrates with them and feasts with them. If you want to know what it means to love a sinner, Jesus is the one when he's dying upon the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's an old command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it's a new command. Not replacing the old, but showing the depth of the old by what it means to live in this sacrificial, intrinsic way. It's an ultimate command. Now, our second point then is this light of love. What the Apostle John is saying is this love of Christ is very powerful. Again, look at verse 8. This love is like light shining brightly in a dark world. In other words, the love of Christ has power to undo the darkness. It has the power to rid the evil that is in this world. And then John begins to build out this idea to show how you are to live out this light of love. And he does this in verses 9 through the end, 9 through 11. Look at verse 9. Whoever says that they're in the light and yet has hate for his brother, he's still in the darkness. Now we need to do some definition. Who's the brothers? It's those who are in the church. So Jesus here, he's talking about those who are in the church fellowship, fellow Christians, if you will. And then he uses this word, darkness. We've already seen that it's kind of like the evil in the world. But here, living in this darkness, still in the darkness, it's living as though you're not a Christian. It's like you're living without the fellowship of God that he's been writing about, the fellowship of God who is light. And if you don't have God as light in your life, you're living in darkness. Just want to note that verse 9 is very similar to chapter 2, verse 4. Remember that in verse 4 he says, if you say that you know him, but you do not do as he commands, <laughs> you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Here in verse 9, if you say that you are in the light, and yet you hate your brother, you're still in the darkness. Go to verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And then look at verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. In fact, he's walking in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. So again, we're back to a familiar contrast with light and dark. And John is really forcing an issue in the reader and us. He's saying, look, are you going to be one who is in the light and loving? Or are you going to be one who is in the dark and not loving, hating? Now, 
People have pointed out he's targeting, remember there's this heresy that's going on in the church called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics claim that they were enlightened, that they were in the light, because they had this secret or mystical knowledge of God. And what John is saying, yeah, you claim that you're in the light, but you're actually in the dark when you don't have love. So he's targeting the Gnostics, but he's also targeting us, the church, even us today. Because he's exhorting us to live out these lives of love toward others. Now, as soon as I say, you know what, we need to love one another, it's very broad. It's kind of a general statement. And so we want to narrow this down. And I think what's helpful is when we go to our Old Testament reading from Leviticus 19. There we saw we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, but particularly we're not to have vengeance or even grudge toward our brothers and sisters. So let me give you this as a hypothetical just to kind of show how this works in the church today. Say you're in the church and a person hurts you. And that does happen in the church. And so a person hurts you, and often in the church, the way that a person is hurt is through words. And so perhaps there was an unkind word or, you know, an untruthful word. And so that word is spoken, uh, perhaps it was said to your face, or perhaps it was said even behind your back, but you find out about it. And when you find out about it, or when it happens, what do you typically do when that happens? Now, typically, you do nothing. Why is that? because we typically are non-confrontational. And so we do nothing, at least externally, but we keep things on the inside. And so we need to ask the question then, what's going on in the inside when you're hurt by another person in the church? Typically what's going on in the inside is we hold a grudge. We have made a record of the wrong and we are unwilling to let go of that record. And so we remember that record when we see that person. And so that person becomes associated with distrust. There's walls between that person. There's coldness. There's weirdness in the relationship. What we have to see here in the text is very important. God says that when you have that grudge, it's actually hate in your heart. Now this hate has far-reaching consequences. Look at verse 11. When you have hate in your heart, you're walking in the darkness. You're not walking as Christ, as, as Christ walks, but you're walking like an unbeliever is what John is teaching. Then also look at verse 11. He says you're blinded. Your grudge turns into bitterness, and when you have that bitterness, it begins to control you, and it controls you in such a degree that you're blind to it. You don't even see it. One of the ways that you know that you have this blindness is, you ever find a case where like, you know, someone mentions the person's name and you have such a grudge that you get like this kind of tirade going out, like this litany of all the wrong stuff that they've done, and you're not even aware that you're saying it, and so you can be like in the company of people you don't know and they say this person's name, and all of a sudden you're like maligning them. That's a grudge. And you're blind to it because you're not even giving thought or consideration. It's just flowing out of you. But it gets worse. Go back to verse 10. Here it's, you know, put in the, in the positive sense. You know, if you're walking in the light, um, you're abiding, there's no cause for stumbling. What's the opposite? Well, if you're walking in the darkness, you stumble. 
That's a word for literally tripping and falling. And when that word stumble is used in the scripture, almost universally it's used in the sense of stumbling and walking away from the faith of God. So what he's saying is, look, if you let this hate control you, you walk away from the gospel. And someone might say immediately, what? Are you saying if I have a grudge, that means I'm not a Christian? The grudge shows a heart condition. It shows what's going on. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it goes all the way through and we have the Lord's Prayer. Then there's two verses that actually follow the Lord's Prayer that I find are some of the most challenging verses in all of the scriptures. This is what Jesus says. He says, you know what? If you forgive others, then your Father forgives you. And yet if you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Those are hard words because what that means is if you are not willing to be a forgiving person, that means you're not born again. Those are hard words because often we wrestle with being forgiving. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, if you have been shown the mercy of God, if you know what forgiveness is from God above, then what flows out of you is forgiveness and showing mercy to others. Now, is it easy? No. But what John the Apostle is saying here is if you let this hate control you and run you, it ruins you because you are then walking in darkness and often you're blind to it. It's been said every problem in the church, the church has ever faced can be tracked to a, uh, back to a lack of love. Let me rephrase that. You know, if you want to ruin a church, do two things. Hold a grudge and then gossip about it. They always go hand in hand because they feed off of each other. If you hold a grudge, then you begin to gossip about that person. If you're gossiping, gossiping about a person, that causes a grudge. And so it's a cyclical, cyclical thing and that it just keeps on happening And it brings disunity and a lack of love. And that's what holds or destroys the church. Put it positively, we need that. (laughs) What holds the church together? Love. How does the world know that the church has a real message? Love. You see, love is powerful. And that's why the life of love is described as walking in the light of God, as God is light. When you walk in love, the love of God shines forth because God is love and his love is made manifest. Now at this point, a person might say, you know what, okay, I get it, but I've not loved this way. I've fallen short. I have fallen short. I want to love, but I feel helpless to change. This hate, it often controls me. What do I do? And that's our third point. The Lord who loves. Look again at verse 8. Here he says, you have this new commandment, which is love, and it's true in him. Who's the him? It's Christ. But then look what he says. It's also true in you. This is a truth that's in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. What is John saying? Jesus who is love is working that love into you. Let's follow what John is saying. He's saying when you love like this, it's like he's saying the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining in you. Jesus is growing his kingdom in you. 
What is his kingdom? Fellowship with God, 1 John, the whole theme. But he's not only growing it in you, he says he's growing his kingdom throughout the world. And so what he's saying is, is we begin to love this way because God has loved us. Now, what I want to do is some Bible study. You might be thinking, it's a sermon. I thought it was Bible study. We're going to look at three passages that have like this image of light and dark. And I wanted to show these three passages just to show how Jesus loves us. And what happens is when we see how much Jesus loves us, then we begin to see how it overflows out of us. So the first passage is Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, here, Matthew quotes the prophet, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first thing we need to see is this, in love, Jesus confronts you with your own need and your own sinfulness, that you need salvation. In love, God says that we are those who need salvation because we have darkness of sin. We are the ones walking in the darkness. We are the ones who are broken. We are the ones who are sinful. We are the ones, if you will, cursed. Using the language here, we are the ones who are dirty and darkened, stained. Every faculty, every part of me is affected by this sin. I cannot save myself. And what this passage, passage is saying, I need a savior. And what Jesus says, you need to repent and believe upon him. That's love. The second passage, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Let us give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son he beloves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In this second passage, what we see love is, is he forgives us. He saves us. When we turn to Christ in repentance, there is forgiveness. There is acceptance. I am qualified. And then this terminology is he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That word for transfer is literally he rips us out. It's a word that's often used for like a, like a rescue, uh, like the image of here's a person in the middle of the ocean, they cannot save themselves, and it's the guy who comes in the helicopter and he dives in and he rescues you. He rips you out and he puts you into safety. That's love. That's love. One more passage. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. At one time, you were darkness. And I want to just point out, he didn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. This is your constitution before being born again. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What he's saying is when you are in Christ, you're completely new. You are given the Holy Spirit. You are made into a new creation. And as a new creation, you now live for Christ. And amazing. This is what we saw last week in chapter 2, verse 6. We are to walk as Christ walked. How did Christ walk? In the light, in this love. Now, again, a person might say, okay, nice Bible study, I get that, but how does it really change me? I want to be changed. Friends, I find that a person changes when they remember the darkness from which they were saved. 
When you see from the great depth that Jesus has brought us, that's when you begin to have an overflow of love. In Luke chapter 7, there was a sinful woman who crashed a party. And uh, here's Jesus and he's eating with um, Pharisees and other folks, uh, religious leaders. And you can just imagine the scene. The woman breaks into the party and she begins to weep over Jesus and she's wetting Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she does this thing. She begins to wipe the tears off his feet with her own hair. And the leader of the party, it's a guy named Simon, and he says, does this Jesus know who's touching her? And then Jesus asks him a question. He says, basically, what did you do for me when I walked into your house? Did you give me water for my feet? No. This woman, she's been whiting my feet since the moment she's come in. Did you give me a greeting? No. She's been loving upon me since the moment I've walked into your room. And so, or she walked into the room. And then he gives this amazing analogy. He says, you know what? She loves a lot because she's been forgiven a lot. Simon, you don't love a lot because you don't think you have much to be forgiven. And then he says this amazing passage. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, he's not diminishing what she is and who she is, he says, I, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Friends, if you're wrestling with really loving others, the heart of it is, is you're not seeing the depth from which God has called you. That's the gospel. The gospel is God takes sinners, God takes enemies, and he makes them his children. God who says, you were separated now is in fellowship with us through the grace of what Jesus did upon the cross. When that's deep in your heart, it begins to flow out of you. What does that love look like? It means you're less judgmental, you're less crabby, the, ju the grudges go away. You, be you begin to forgive as you've been forgiven. You're proactive. You seek and make peace. You have compassion. You walk with sinners. There's sacrifice. And the sacrifice is more than just giving money. You're giving your time. You're giving your energy. You're giving your very self. And so the question is, is do you know this love? Do you know this love? If you're here and you do not know this love yet, the Bible says... Come to Jesus today. Make today the day that you receive this love. And it's a simple prayer. Jesus, I am the sinner. I need you to forgive me. I return to you even now. Forgive me. I believe upon you. If you do know this love, would you ask God to remind you of the depth from which he, have called, which he has called you? In other words, say, God, I want this love to flow out of me. I want it to not just kind of dribble out of me. I want it to overflow. I want it to gush out of me. So God, for that to happen, show me how you have saved me, that I might walk in the light of your love. Um, I don't know if we have that passage. Do we have 1 John 4, 7? Yes, yeah, throw it up there. 
So one of the scripture memories that we're going to be uh, memorizing is this one. So we're going to do this one today and we're going to conclude with this, okay? So let's read this and then I'll pray. Let's read it together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are love and that you have loved us even when we were unlovable. You came, Jesus, and you died for sinners, not for good people, but for us. And because you've loved us to the end and you have loved us with extravagant love, and meaning you gave your very self, you were separated for us. God, help us to love the way you love. It's a commandment, and we want to follow that command, but sometimes it's so hard, and the fuel for that is remembering the good news that Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus, would you mark us as a church that loves? In our own church, where we need to show love, help us to show that. Where we need to love our neighbors and family, help us to do that. God, may the world know that you are real because we love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.